0: Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may our reflections on your word this morning lead us closer to a relationship with you, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Setting goals. Having goals in our life gives us direction. Without goals, we tend to aimlessly meander through our day, missing valuable opportunities to live into the possibilities that can lead us toward those visions of what we think makes for us a satisfying life. Often, it's when a significant period of time has passed that we look back on that precious resource and reconsider how we want to spend the future time that we have left. Of course, it all starts with a vision. We must first use our imagination to envision what we want in our life to be like and at some point in the future. And then we can start setting goals to make that vision a reality. We do this all the time in different areas of our lives where we are serious about making a specific change. When We want to get healthier. We set exercise and diet goals so we can achieve a vision of strength and vitality. When we want a better financial situation, we might set goals for saving and investing. We set goals for sports and hobbies, career, and nearly every other aspect of our lives when we make a conscious decision to change our circumstance. As time progresses and we gain a better understanding of ourselves and the world around us, we may decide to change our goals Sometimes this happens when our personal preference change, but sometimes it happens when we gain a better understanding of what is possible. A good example of this is the goal of running a mile in less than four minutes. Many thought it was physically impossible for a human being to run a mile in less than four minutes. But Roger Bannister, who had set a goal for himself to break this barrier, ran a mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds on May 6th, 1954, the first person to do that. Since then, roughly 1,400 other people have run a mile in less than four minutes. And the current record is three minutes and 43 seconds. Once people realized this goal was achievable, many made it their own personal challenge and were able to accomplish it. But first, we needed someone to step forward with a vision that being able to run for about 15 miles an hour for a full mile was, was possible in order to break that barrier. When we look at our passage today, we can see how Paul's letter to the Ephesians creates a new vision for us. Actually, many scholars think this letter was written not specifically to the church in Ephesus but to a group of churches in and around the region of Ephesus. Unlike most other letters from Paul that address specific problems within a community, this letter, as Pastor John pointed out, was intended to promote the general idea of the universal church and give guidance for how to live as the body of Christ by being grounded in the love of Christ. The hope and prayer in this letter is that the followers of Christ will be given a spirit of revelation and wisdom as they grow in their understanding of God. In the first chapter, verses 17 through 19, we read I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him, so that with your eye, the eyes of your heart enlightened. You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? These opening paragraphs of the first of this letter suggest that it's possible to gain an awareness of the hope, inheritance, and power of God through the gift of an enlightenment that we can experience as God reveals God's self to us. When you think about it, this is a pretty amazing vision to perceive the possibilities that God, the creator and sustainer of our existence, can manifest as well as what we have to look forward to in our future with God. Within the passage we read earlier in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, We get more clarity of this vision. Paul prays that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that we, the followers of Christ, may be strengthened in our inner being with power through God's spirit. And that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith as we are being rooted and grounded in love. There are a few important aspects to this statement that may be worthwhile pointing out. For one, we see that this vision of awareness comes as a gift from God. Unlike physical strength that develops through our own personal effort and choices, Paul describes an inner strength that only God can build up. It is built up through God's power and God's spirit. Another important point is how Christ comes to dwell in our hearts. Here we see Christ comes to us through faith as a consequence of being rooted and grounded in love. Developing an attitude of love allows us to have the confidence in the existence and presence of Christ in our lives. So the first statement tells us this vision is only achievable as a gift from God. And confidence in Christ's presence in our life comes from being more deeply rooted in love. In the next statement, Paul prays that we may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's several parts to this statement that we're worth considering. First. The word translated as power in the phrase describing Paul's desire for us to have the power to comprehend is different in the original Greek from the word translated as power when Paul describes God's power in strengthening our inner being. When Paul refers to God's power, he uses the word thinema, which refers to the ability to do something. This is the typical way we think of power in terms of strength. In the second phrase, where Paul describes his desire for us to have the power to comprehend, he uses the word ex which implies more of an ability to experience something. These subtle differences reinforce the notions that God is in control, and our need for growth and development is more about learning how to experience the gifts that God presents to us rather than obtaining them through our own effort. The next part of Paul's vision statement is one of the kind of those circular mystical assertions. It's very difficult to understand. He prays that we can understand the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. This seems like an impossible situation. First, there is the open-ended reference to understanding the breadth and length and width and height and depth, which seems to imply completely understanding everything. There's also the desire that we will know the love of God that is beyond knowledge, which can also be translated as, in the original Greek, comprehending the love of Christ that goes beyond comprehension. These are thought-provoking statements that merit reflection. I think these statements refer to a difference between mentally knowing something and spiritually knowing something. It's clearly impossible to have a complete mental understanding of the entire universe. And it's probably impossible to have a full, concrete understanding of love. How would we explain the breadth and height and length and depth of love? Paul's vision for the church is a vision of spiritual maturity that does not have a direct correlation to our physical experiences and understandings. I think Paul is trying to convey the understanding of something that goes beyond the possibility of logical comprehension and essentially requires an illogical description. He forces the listener to step outside the bounds of rational thought to consider something that may not have a rational explanation. Now, our tendency to rely on rational explanation for our day-to-day experience has many of us averse to those things in our lives that we cannot be that cannot be logically explained. In the distant past, there were many daily experiences that were thought to have occurred because of supernatural forces. That were discovered to have perfectly logical explanations later. Phenomena like the movement of the stars and planets, weather patterns, and certain illnesses were not well understood, so it was presumed that divine beings were causing the observed effects. Of course, today these types of daily experiences have been proven by science to be based on the laws of physics. But there are still events and observations that cannot be logically explained which leaves open the possibility to divine interaction. But the common expectation today is that there is a logical reason for everything we don't fully understand that is simply waiting to be discovered. Now, despite this preference for logical explanations in our society today, there's an increasing acceptance of the notion of spirituality. According to the Pew Research Center, this is a nonpartisan social research group, The percentage of Americans who felt a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being at least once a week increased from 52% to 59% from 2007 to 2014. This growing acceptance of spirituality stems from personal experiences which could be thought of as empirical data, a legitimate source of information of the scientific process. Of course, the acceptance of spirituality does not depend on popular opinion. But it is encouraging to see that we share our spiritual experiences with most other Americans, despite a preference for logical explanations. In the end, I think it is our own personal experience with Christ that motivates us to consider Paul's vision of spiritual maturity as something we may want to strive for. But we may ask ourselves, how feasible is it for us to achieve this vision? It may be impossible, or seem impossible, rather, until we consider the experiences of the mystics who have gone before us. There are people throughout history who appear to have at least gotten close to this vision that Paul gives us. There are people like Augustine of Hippo, who developed much of our church theology and doctrine in the fourth century, Meister Eckhart, a 13th century mystic who still influences contemporary spirituality, and Julian of Norwich, a 14th century mystic who wrote an inspirational account of her experience with Christ when she nearly died. These are among the dozens of Christian mystics who have shown us that deep spiritual awakening is possible. Like Roger Roger Bannister, who showed that it was possible to break the four-minute mile, the Christian mystics have shown us that it is possible for Christ to dwell deeply in our hearts through faith, and that we can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The mystics have shown us that the vision that Paul gave us in the letter to the Ephesians and the surrounding community is achievable. I think Paul gives us several hints as to how we can live into this vision with this passage that we just read. In general, I think that vision, that vision involves making concerted effort to foster a relationship with God. The gifts of strength in our inner being, the dwelling of Christ in our heart and the development of spiritual understanding that leads to the fullness of God, are all given to us through the grace of God. We cannot earn these gifts any more than we can earn someone's true love. The love that we experience in life comes from the cultivation of relationships. And in the same way, the love we experience from God stems from culting a relationship with God. Therefore, if we are serious about achieving Paul's vision for us, we may want to develop our own set of goals that help us foster that relationship with God. Fortunately, we also have the benefit of having teachers who have gone before us in the past, developing practices that help us grow closer to God. These teachers have developed Christian spiritual disciplines that we can practice on a regular basis to cultivate our spiritual growth. For example, we are practicing one of them right now by gathering together in corporate worship, whether physically or virtually. There are other practices like reading scripture, meditation, contemplative prayer, study, and public service. that can all be done in many different ways. By setting personal goals of our regular pra- of regularly practicing such spiritual disciplines, we can become more rooted and grounded in the love which helps us develop a better ability to experience that love of Christ and the fullness of God. It is all made possible by a perpetual beckoning to us from God. God stands in our midst with a posture of open arms, eagerly waiting for us to acknowledge the presence of his spirit and fall into those arms. When I consider the magnificence of God and the invitation that we are offered to be in such close relationship through the grace of Christ and the presence of the spirit, I'm humbled and amazed. I think Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the final two verses of today's passage in the message summarizes it very well. He says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. I encourage you this morning to seriously consider Paul's vision, his vision for us in this letter to the Ephesians, and to think about the goals that you might set for yourself in order to make this spiritual vision a reality in your own life. Amen.